Hi, welcome back to Brave New Workforce, the podcast that is changing the way the world works. I'm Anna Karina, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Trip O'Dale and Larry Cornett. Now, Trip, I, for one, am very excited about our guests for today's episode. Couldn't agree more, Anna. I, Tom and I go way back. I'm really excited to talk about his business in particular because as somebody who is a chef and a restaurateur, he loves food, he loves talking about food, and he's taken a very interesting approach at how to solve his business problems in the middle of this pandemic and really actually stumble onto a really great solution to some of those problems. I think that's going to be useful to a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everyone's been talking about how restaurants have been affected by the shutdown, but Tom actually made a switch. So he changed from a traditional restaurant to the catering side of the industry. So he's been providing food for events and businesses and individuals. And now that offices and parties are put on hold right now, he had to find yet another new way to use his cooking to bring in money. So we heard how he adapted his business model to this new world. And it's really impressive, but it's also pretty inspiring. Well, and I think that what part of that is that he isn't hung up on the way that the business should work or how it works in catering or how it works in restaurants. He's been flexible on the ways of getting the work done and focused on what he loves most about the work and working backwards from that. Uh, you know, he loves feeding people. He loves cooking. He loves food. He loves talking about food. Uh, and I think he's been able to capture that and lean on that and make it really profitable for he and his family. Definitely. Um, I think this type of innovation could really inspire a lot of uh, people, even if they're not in the restaurant business. There's several different key takeaways you can take away from his story and the, and the creativity as well as the dedication that he's applied that is applicable for every type of field. I totally agree. I mean, the food industry is massively unpredictable. I mean, there's so many different factors that go into that. And I think that sense of resilience and willing to experiment and try things is a lesson that any small business owner can take away from this. On uh, As the conditions change, you know, as you're, you have ways that are limiting your business, um, being creative in how you operate that while still getting the things that you love out of it is important. Yeah, and one of the nice things about this modern world that we live in with connections to everyone is that businesses are able to learn from each other. Plus, the three of us have had experiences in our own careers that we know some things that could help Tom be more effective and more profitable. And we also know some things that don't work. So we we were happy to share that with him. And um, yeah, exactly. By having Tom on, uh, we shared some of our expertise and he was quite surprised that he could incorporate automation into um, a restaurant workflow, which is pretty manual in itself. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of being able to collaborate and make use of all the new technologies that are coming out that we're really aware of. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I'm most excited about, uh, you know, in this series is that we're going to help people find new ways of working with the technology, which is always really satisfying for me to see that, that light up. And when we spoke to Tom, you saw that moment where he's like, so when we started talking to Tom about tools that could massively simplify the things that he's working really hard to do that have nothing to do with the food. You saw that moment where that aha, ways that he could simplify his life and focus more on the things that he loves most about his work. And he's a fun guy to talk to. He was on the Food Network for a while. Larry, I know you had to keep your hand close to the bleep button because he is a colorful character. Um, but 
this was a fun conversation. So I'm really excited for people to hear it. Yeah. So uh, let's dive in and see how he's making the most of his current situation. We're here today with Tom Pazika, who is owner of Philly Hots, a Philadelphia-based meal delivery that specializes in local flavors. And he has uh, is experimenting with a new way of uh, serving customers food in Philadelphia. So Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Tom Pazika, uh, owner, operator of Philly Hots. I've been in the kitchens for probably about 20 years, I would say at this point. Um, I'm a former Food Network star. I did a stint from 2010 to 2011, um, a show called The Next Food Network Star. And I also did a show called Outrageous Food. From there, I started a burger concept called Big Chef Tom's Belly Burgers, serving 100% ground pork belly patties, the only one in the world doing it. Um, Absolutely delicious. I had a restaurant there for about three years in San Francisco, spent about 15 years in San Francisco. Um, I'm originally from Westchester, Pennsylvania, when San Francisco got a little too expensive for me and uh, my restaurant, I decided to head back home to Westchester, Pennsylvania. And from there, I started a, a sandwich concept called Philly Hots. And basically what I do there is I take classic Philly sandwiches like the Italian roast pork, um, the chicken cutlet. I do a hot roast beef sandwich. And I actually take some pretty inventive um, ingredients and unique ingredients and make something familiar, a little unfamiliar for the guest. So I did that, um, catering, corporate catering, private catering. And then along comes COVID-19, corporate catering completely shuts down. I have a family. What am I going to do? So I have um, an idea to do a home meal delivery. You know, people can't get out of the house. I have a ton of recipes in my head that I know would translate well to reheating um, because that's the whole trick to it. So I basically, you know, offer the service to family and friends and – I started making meals, you know, delivering meals once a week on Monday to people. And from there, word of mouth kind of spread. I've had some initial success at it, but it's literally been four weeks and this is all new to me. So I have no idea, you know, what's next essentially. So Tom, you know, it sounds like you've been in the restaurant business for a long time. You, you grew up loving food as many people that, that get into that business do. Uh, and, but you're not working out of a restaurant now. Like you kind of left the restaurant, you you were doing some corporate catering in the Bay area for big tech companies. Uh, you had a restaurant there. And then when you came back, you don't have a restaurant, you'd been doing corporate catering and then you made the jump to this. Do you like it? Is it going well? Like, do you miss anything? Um, I don't miss the restaurant lifestyle. I will say that. Um, I really do enjoy the catering. Um, everything's paid for up front. Essentially, there's, you know, all your costs are pretty much laid out. Um, it's a, it's an easier lifestyle because I can plan around things a lot easier than if you could, if you're, you know, stuck in a restaurant 15, 16 hours a day even, or even more. Um, so my age right now, I'm 42 years old. I really don't miss anything about owning a restaurant or being in a restaurant. I enjoy my family. I enjoy free time. Um, 
and I just basically enjoy being able to create my own schedule, take gigs when I want them. You know, if I can't take them, it sucks, but you know, you, you gotta, you know, you deal with it. So what I'm hearing from you is it's actually working out pretty well. And, oh, I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I really, I think I made the right choice with going into the catering, um, the catering realm, I should say, of, of the food business. Um, and a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, I'm essentially doing by myself with maybe one person or two people to help me part time. So that aspect of it is, is really comforting because I'm not relying on so many people because in the restaurant business, if you've ever been in it, you know that those people have a tendency to let you down. <laughs> like a lot of times, like no call, no shows, people just quit. Somebody's too hungover to come into work, you know, and that stress was the biggest stress for me in owning a restaurant. Um, was the re the reliability of, of the people that you had to hire. So doing the catering thing, having it so small, I guess, is is good for me. Like I, I enjoy it. You've kind of had an awakening. And I think this is what's happened with a lot of people recently is they've had to change the way they're running their business and doing their work. And initially it was kind of a setback. And they're like, oh, this is so weird. It's so different. I don't like it. But now that we're a few weeks into it, they're starting to see the good side of it. And they're like, wait a second, you know, maybe they're questioning their future. And so as you look out, you know, 10, 20 years, where do you think you could take this and where do you want it to end up eventually? You know, it's, it's interesting. Yes. I question, I was just thinking that, um, to myself last night and the honest answer is I don't know. Um, it's so new and it's something that I'm still trying to, you know, wrap my, my hands around and, and get a firm grasp on logistically and where it could really go. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I like the sky could be the limit. I, I really think it just depends on, I don't know. I, it's a tough question to answer. I, I haven't really thought about that far ahead, honestly, you know? And so what kind of roadblocks are you running into currently with this new kind of model that you're developing of a more ready, ready prepped meals to, to the house? That, that's a great question, Anna, because I like like how is this different than a catering business or running a restaurant? Because it seems like there's there are some big differences. So for me, uh, you know, I'm all about the quality of the food. You know, the food is first and foremost in my mind. So the biggest challenge that I'm finding is creating dishes that will reheat well um, and that will keep, you know, essentially for at least three or four days in someone's refrigerator. You know, once the food leaves my hands, I don't know what they're going to do with it. You know, if they have a, a refrigerator that is 50 degrees and they don't know it, they're going to be like, your food was bad when I got it. But there's nothing I can do about that. So another challenge is, you know, leaving it up to the people to kind of reheat it and make it what I want it to be. And that's tough for me as a chef, you know, ego wise. And I mean, that's pretty much, I would say the main roadblock and the challenge is developing menus that will travel, they'll reheat, and they'll keep. 
because I don't want to serve anything like frozen. You know, like you can go to, um, you can get a lean cuisine, you know what I mean? Or something if you want to do that. Like my whole concept is I want it to be fresh. I want it to be ready to go. And I necessarily don't want it to be reheated in a microwave. You know, I want you to be able to break it down, put the chicken in the oven, you know, throw the rice in a, in a saute pan and, you know, and get it nice, get everything nice. So there's a little bit of preparation to it, but at the same time, you could just throw it in the microwave if you wanted to. So, you know, it, it's really up to the, the, the client for how they want to go about preparing it. But And then, so how are you educating your customers on how to better prep your food for the, for the optimal quality? Well, so what I'll do is I'll give reheat instructions um, for the best way to reheat stuff. But what I also am thinking about doing is throwing up tutorials on social media. Like, hey, if you got the jambalaya, here's how I would reheat it. You know, like, hey, if you ordered X this week, here's how I would put it together. And that's something that I was thinking about last week about doing just to give some people some heads up as to how to best execute my food. And how many meals, I guess, are you delivering to one household? Is it a, a set of meals or is it just one meal for like a family of four? How does it kind of break down? So how I break it down is I break it down in individual meals. So in one package, there'll be say like pork, rice, and a vegetable, you know? So they'll order, if they want to order three of those, they'll order three of those, but it's meant for one serving for one person. Now, I also have side dishes that I'll put on my menu that'll serve two to three. So say I'm doing mashed potatoes for one dish, I'll just offer it. You can get a bunch of mashed potatoes if you want, you know, as a side dish for the whole family. And then I also offer some like, you know, pre-breaded chicken cutlets. All you need to do is thaw them a little bit and fry them, which is a really popular item. I offer some fried shrimp that I'll fry and I'll blast freeze and then they can just throw them in the oven, you know, stuff like that. So there's some like sides and snacks that I'll do as well. But the, the order volume per family is it varies so much because because of COVID, I can't get a huge grasp on it because people are ordering for their parents. People are ordering for neighbors. People are ordering for, you know, friends and family that can't really get out of the house. So one week, somebody will order three meals. The next week, they'll order 10, you know? So it's, and, and, I, and I haven't asked them, like, who are you ordering these for? So Tom, that's a great question. And I think there's a lot of questions like that. Um, how are you finding customers and how are you sort of processing their orders? Because it sounds like there's some lead time in this and how do you get your menus up? How do they know when to, and how are you processing those orders? But also, like, how are you getting new customers? How many customers, you've only been doing this for a little while. How many customers do you have and where do you want to grow? So right now I've got an email list um, of about 45 people. Um, it started out friends and family and people that I've catered for in the past when I put it up on social media that know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a decent cook and my food's good. So they ordered from me. So a lot of it's friends and family. And then from their word of mouth, and then I've gotten 
some people via social media, and I'll put it up on neighbor the neighborhood app in my immediate area. Um, I've gotten some hits on that, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's been word of mouth and like a little bit of social media kind of so, deal. So, and they're they're just sending you emails every week. So you'll you'll send an email blast out to fifty people and say, "Here's the menu. Email me back." Right, Are you exactly. Phone calls and all that kind of stuff. No phone calls or anything, but it's basically here's the menu in an email every Wednesday. I put it out Wednesday afternoon, and then before the menu, you know, I'll put in the body of the email, kind of like a newsletter, you know, like what I got on the menu. Um, thanks for returning your containers, which is huge. You know, thanking them for the orders or, you know, meats getting really scarce and expensive. So this week I focus more on seafood and some veggie options, you know, just, just kind of stuff like that. And then they'll pretty much just reply to that email with an order. Or if somebody sees it on social media, they'll email, you know, phillyhots at Gmail. And then, you know, with their order, stuff like that. So that sounds like there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of manual work. Like you're going through a bunch of emails and trying to oh, like yeah. copy and paste orders and deal with different ways that people might put those orders in. Um, is it like a big rush right around Wednesday, Thursday, or does it trickle in all week? And when do you sort of cut things off? So that's another challenge that I'm having um, of deciding when to cut it off because menu goes out Wednesday. I want people to be in, have the orders in by Saturday for Monday delivery. But Saturday is a big prep day for me because I would physically wouldn't be able to do it um, Sunday, Monday. I just wouldn't get it done with the amount of orders that I have. So I have to prep some stuff Saturday. So it's been kind of frustrating of prepping stuff and then getting a ton more of one thing. And you're like, shit, I got to just make that all over again kind of deal. But at the same time, I don't want to make the cutoff Friday because when people are sitting down to write like a grocery list for the week, they're usually doing it on like a Saturday. You know, they're not doing it midweek. So I want to give the people that do that their, their meal planning for the next week on the Saturday, you know, an opportunity to be like, all right, well, we can get three meals from Philly Hots, so I don't need to get that much at the grocery store, you know, kind of deal. Like, I, I don't want to force people's hand into, like, I'd be, like, rushing to get an order into me. You know, I, I want to cater to them as, you know, I'll, I'll take the hit and it'll be a pain in the ass for me rather than it'd be a pain in the ass for them is my philosophy. Well, and one of the big differences in the challenges is that you've got to get this stuff to them. They, they, they aren't coming to your restaurant. You're not going to their event. You're, you've got to figure out how to get all of this stuff out the door once a week in order to fill all those things. But you have to order ahead and get all the materials together, right? So that's, a, that's, that's tricky. That's a big difference from those other business models. It is. I mean, it's it's very similar to catering, um, you know, like just doing catering gigs where I have the advantage of, you know, having so much experience with that, where you do just, all right, we're going to buy all this today. We're going to fabricate it today. The difference is pre, you know, packaging all in individual meals as opposed to packaging into, you know, big catering trays 
to be, you know, shipped off somewhere. That's been the biggest challenge. Um, you know, figuring out, all right, how much meat are we going to give each person? You know, how much rice are we going to give each person? How much veg are we going to give each person? So what I'm hearing um, are a couple of challenges that you're facing right now. For one, it's kind of reducing that friction piece, try and get the customers what they want when they want it, right? Uh, and then another uh, aspect here is kind of measuring what you need to get because like you said earlier, you know, sometimes they'll order three, then they'll order 10 and you don't know why. So kind of like measuring that piece would probably be really helpful. And then the third piece, once you kind of have those two pieces down and understanding where these roadblocks are coming from, then the third piece would be growing that audience. So it's more than just friends and family and it's people within your your ideal uh, neighborhood zip codes, right? Is that is that somewhat correct or am I missing something? No, that's pretty much dead on. Okay. So the other, I hear a couple of other things too, which is like, I think you want to grow, but you don't, but you want to keep the food quality high. You want to be able to experiment with things that may or may not work. And how do you do that without pissing off a bunch of people? And then how do you nudge people to order more frequently or a little bit more? Because you're spending a lot of time behind the wheel when you could be in the kitchen sort of experimenting, which is what you love. Right. Um, one of the things that I thought about doing is, you know, I have a, I have a ton of um, repeat customers some loyal customers. So one of the ways that I'm thinking about getting new dishes out there is to just offer it to them, you know, on like a trial basis would kind of make them feel a little special that they're getting free food or, you know, they're, you know, in, in a test group and, you know, it might, you know, beef up brand loyalty for them at the same time, you know, talking about us to friends and family or, you know, other people. There's just a ton of complexity in getting stuff to their door. Right. Yeah. A ton of complexity. And you're taking payments electronically or how, how are you doing all of that? So when I initially started this, I, I wanted it to be a completely contactless situation simply because of the shelter in place. You know, obviously everybody knows what's going on right now in the world. But obviously a lot of the, the older people, you know, they're going to pay with cash or check, which is fine. That's great. You can give me a cash or check. But yeah, predominantly right now, it's a Venmo, PayPal um, type situation. But I've actually forced some older people to learn how to use PayPal and Venmo, <laughs> which is actually pretty cool. You're educating people. I'm, educa cool. I'm an educator. <laughs> you know, I, I was going to bring up a point because as I was listening to you talking about trying to predict, like, what are people going to be ordering? What do they need? And then kind of that stuff coming in at the last minute. And then also the fact that you have loyal repeat customers. I'm starting to hear the potential for you to have a bit of a subscription model much like some of the, the organic farms that I've seen in this area where people could commit and get a good deal because they're loyal. And so maybe it's a little, you know, a better price for people who say, you know what, every week I'm going to order whatever you got, five of those. I love your food. I trust you. You know, you'll send me the newsletters. I know what I'm getting, but I'm going to be a subscribed customer and one of your loyal customers. And that way you've got some predictability in both what you need to prepare and the volume as well as revenue, which is kind of nice. Have you ever considered something like that? Um, I've talked about it a little bit, um, actually with Trip. Um, 
I've definitely considered it. I don't know if I'm there yet. I think I'm a little – I don't think I have the base yet to do it, but I, maybe I do. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something that I could offer and see. I, could, I mean, because a lot of the people that are my customers, I actually know them, like, you know, to an extent, enough to the point where, you know, I can ask them questions and they would give me honest feedback, which is nice right now. So that's definitely something that I should reach out to some loyal people and be like, hey, would you be interested in a subscription, you know, service for X? But I would need to figure out to how to make the money work. Well, the the tricky part that I hear is that there's a lot of manual labor and stuff that has nothing to do with the food. Like you're you're having to create content, you're having to sort of organize that stuff, send out sort of instruction sheets or make videos that that's all a lot of labor on a weekly basis. And also because you're only doing this once a week, it's, it doesn't sound like it would be very easy to do this twice a week. So if you have a bad week of orders, that's a really bad week. Right. And I'm waiting for that. <laughs> I haven't had it yet, but you know, cause every time I put out a menu, it's, is this what people feel like eating this week? You know, like, is that a bad, is that a good menu? Is that a bad menu? And that, you know, that's just an internal struggle that I have. And the way I try to do it is, you know, I think one of the, the mission statements for Philly Hots is, you know, you eat what I would eat, you know, like, what would I have for dinner? What would I make my family that's delicious, that's this wholesome and that's how I kind of plan my menus. And, and you know, so far it's been successful where, you know, I, I, people have ordered a, a lot of everything or, you know, there hasn't, there hasn't been too many like complete duds, you know, where I've gotten like one order of that nobody wanted, but I'm sure it'll happen eventually. But in the, you know, the six weeks that I've been doing this so far, it, has, it hasn't happened yet. And then one, one last thing, because I think like, Anna, Larry, and I are detecting some themes uh, and some buckets. And the good news is that the problems you're facing are the exact same problems companies like eBay and Amazon face, and it, just at a smaller scale. And there's right. ways to, to address that. But you're a professionally trained chef. You think about this like a business. When you're developing a new recipe or an offering, how much are you considering what we would call the unit economics, like your margin over cost of materials and labor? Like how much, how much of that figures into what, what recipe you might put out there? A lot. Um, just being a, a restaurant owner a few times now, you know, the margins and the money is the most important thing. But as far as labor goes, it's only me right now and my wife helps me deliver. So I have a little bit of leeway to make my food cost a little higher and offer, you know, the good cut of meat, I guess. But right now, but when it becomes something that I can't do by myself and I take on more costs, that's going to be another challenge to make it that good you know, you know, with maybe a lesser cut kind of thing, I, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And then just even in terms of like how you target your price point, because that's the other thing, like people are going to 
think differently about what they're ordering based on like how much a serving costs. They might pay, you know, 30 bucks for it in a restaurant, that same dish that reheats well. I don't think you can get away with charging 30 bucks a head for that. So how does that, how does that affect your margin and how, how high and low you can go on quality? Yes. So I try to keep my meals in between 12 and $14 um, each. And with that, I can, I can make it good for that. You know, let's just put it that way, just because of my background and because I've have so much experience in food, you know, that I can make you something very, very tasty for not that much money, you know, and get away with it. Like I don't need to cover up lack of talent with expensive ingredients, you know, is, is basically what I'm trying to say. Well, and I, I can vouch for the fact, like, I mean, I've grew up eating your food, you know, we've been, we've known each other for a very long time, but the, but the, uh, the piece of that is um, the quality and what they're getting sort of is without a doubt, like your food is delicious. I think it's about, and where we can help is how do you grow this in a smart way that maps to your goals? And I think that's the themes that we can kind of go over real quick. Cause I think there's like five buckets here. Yeah. It's kind of the piece of like connecting the dots and understanding sort of the math and the data behind it so that you can focus on being the creative, um, doing fantastic recipes and not so much and like knowing the numbers behind it without stressing out because there's nothing worse than I imagine getting, you know, let's say 50 orders and then you're like, oh crap, like how am I going to make margin on this? Right. So why don't we get that margin piece or that numbers piece out of the way first so that when you do get the 50 orders, you're, you're worried about actually delivering the 50 orders and not whether you're going to break even on or not, you know? You know, if we're thinking about because I'm sure Larry, Larry is, is our introvert on the crew and he just listens really well. Um, so I'm sure he's detected a few of these buckets. And like the big one that I heard was really about clarity on vision and where you want to go. And there's tools for that that we can help with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing is that you always want to have a bit of a, a guiding mission of where you want to take this. And it sounds like you have some ideas for that and you've been thinking about it, but taking some time to think about where do I intentionally want to take this? And then what does that mean for me, both professionally and personally? Because you talked about lifestyle and, and having more freedom, which I think is wonderful because we're all very similar. We're all very entrepreneurial. And so then looking for those opportunities to say, how do I scale this business in the right way so that it stays true to my vision and it continues to be, you know, as profitable as it can be, deliver the quality I want, but not kill me personally. So I'm not working crazy hours and, and you're figuring out how do you scale this and not have that restaurant effect. Um, you know, I have my brother owned a restaurant. I have had a lot of friends working in restaurants. So I know what you're talking about where it's, yeah, you scale it, you bring these people on and they can't trust them. And that, and it's like, okay, this isn't so great either. So trying to figure out how to do that. And sometimes one of the things that we haven't talked about much yet is, is through partnerships. So are there really good partnerships? And we talked about this flywheel effect that as you add the right types of partners, you actually generate more income and more revenue with kind of this, this network effect without having to do a ton of extra work yourself. And it elevates your product too. So you're complementary to each other. And so that's an opportunity to think about is who are some likely people 
that I could partner with. We co-market each other. Their product is a great complement to my product. And now we both are growing and becoming more valuable. So you're talking about partnerships with like a meat company or something or, or. It could be, it could be a partnership with a supplier, but it could also be a partnership with another service that provides something that's complimentary. Trip and I had talked about this once before, you know, alcohol is a big thing that when you're in a restaurant, it adds quite a bit of, you know, to the final kind of receipt that's harder now. Um, so there are people like that dessert kind of providers, you name it. There's all kinds of things that as you start to think about it would be a compliment and not a threat to your business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, there's tons, I'm sure there's tons of breweries in your, in your back of the woods who are hurting for extra customers. If you can maybe partner with them and say, Hey, I'm going to make this menu and I'm going to recommend your beer. Well, can we do some sort of a split or whatever, where you, you can use my customers for the beer business and I can, and your customers can use some of my food. You know what I mean? So it's, can, it can be a split in that way. Um, of course, the legalities of selling alcohol remotely, I'm not too sure what the laws would require. But uh, if they already have the licenses in place to just ship a couple of beers over so-and-so's house, that can be an excellent opportunity for you to pallet the, right. the whole thing together. It's a great idea. Because I think like if you're thinking about this, Tom, uh, like how do you create a win-win? So it could be something where... Pennsylvania has weird liquor and beer laws. It's very restrictive, like where you can buy it. I don't know what the current regulations are around delivery, but if you have somebody going to a beer store or you're recommending pairings, right? Those stores also have walk-ins. Like, could you take food for pickup that you don't have to fulfill in delivery where you put it in the beer store with a suggested pairing and they pick up from the beer store, right? Because they are doing curbside. So it's something where it allows you to simplify your logistics, but also create a flywheel for the beer store where it's a win-win. So there's a lot of opportunities there, but I think like the biggest partnership you're missing out immediately and the one that is your biggest opportunity is your first partner should be your data. Your you're, you may not think you're generating a lot of data. It's just really hidden and siloed and kind of dumb data because it's not terribly actionable. It's all over the place. So how do you make the data work for you? And that's something that we can work with. Anna's like, like the data maven. Like she's very good at, at crunching that stuff and we can kind of help set you up with some tools there. So I think like there's the vision there's the identifying sort of uh, identifying alliances and discovering flywheel opportunities. There's making the data work for you. And then I think there's another part, and this is more Larry and I come more from the consumer behavior cognition part is how do you get insights that are going to nudge those order sizes up? How do you get insights that are going to inform what your social strategy is uh, and reducing what we call friction, which is things that are hard, harder than they need to be. And if you made them simpler, great products and services solve a problem. They either reduce pain or they increase pleasure, right? You've, you've got a little bit of both. It's a pain to shop right now. It's a pain to cook. It's pleasurable to have a great meal with your family, but how do you reduce the friction to get those needs met? Uh, because then people will buy from you all day long. Do you guys have more to add to that or, you know, like, let's get down to 
to brass tacks on ways that, where would we start with Tom? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, start with that. Um, in terms of the data piece, I would suggest taking a look at um, your most loyal customers. You said you kind of have a, a, a rough idea of who they are. Um, are they in a spreadsheet right now? Or are they in your email marketing tool? How, how are you kind of measuring or tracking that? Um, I mean, I have their email and I just, in my mind, I know who orders every week you know, and who doesn't kind of thing. Cause it's not that many people right now. It's enough to just keep in my mind. That's not a good way to do it. But it's, it's the way I'm doing it right now. And the piece kind of that I was thinking about follows from what Anna was saying, which is when I was at eBay in particular, we used to talk about the life cycle of a customer and what is the lowest friction way, the easiest way to get somebody to engage with eBay for the first time. So it's low risk. They're willing to try it. They're like, yeah, you know, I'll do this auction for a DVD. It's 10 bucks. So what? If it doesn't work out, okay. But we had a vision for saying, well, I want that person at some point to move up and to buy something more expensive to then buy an appliance. And then ultimately, we've had people do this when I was at eBay, buy a car. It's like, holy cow, they went from a DVD to a blender to a car. So the value for eBay and that customer, tremendous. And we are always thinking at every step of the customer life cycle, it's like, how do we get them past that next level of trust, reduce the friction, and get them to be a longer-term loyal customer that's adding tremendous value? And I think that's something, you've got these customers who are loyal, and the easiest customer to get is the one you already had. So, yeah. you know, getting and the that, subscription business, and then also some kind of a loyalty program. So it's like, hey, if you refer more people to me, as an ambassador for my business, I'll give you 20% off your order next week, or I'll give you a free order in a couple of weeks. But not only that, like I think also sharing a little bit of your story because you are a family man, you are the, the, the basically you and your wife are the people behind this business. Sometimes people need kind of that connection piece bef uh, because they're overwhelmed in their own lives and not really kind of aware of what's going on. But so in, in your packages, you can include like handwritten notes or something like those extra touches saying, thank you for ordering from a small business, kind of tying the fact, the community piece that you're not just helping like yourself by feeding your family, you're helping your, you, you know, you're helping a, another piece of the community and people really have, build strong ties to that. Just a little message can go a long way to to building that loyalty as well. To to maybe the more distant uh, followers who who buy from you maybe once or twice a twice a month or something. But I I think that first step, Tom, is really how do you how do you know where to start? Because it, this is an opportunity cost. Like you could be writing handwritten notes and putting those in orders, and that's a beautiful touch on the storytelling and the branding, but that's time that you're not spending doing other stuff that you're already doing. So it's how do we take stuff off your plate so that you can focus on the more strategic opportunities and how do you identify those opportunities? So I think the first part is how are you tracking all this information and what's a way, and we talk about this, like you've heard of growth mindset, that curiosity and resilience and not afraid of failure. And every entrepreneur has to have that. But what is an entrepreneurial growth mindset? And that's about how do you set up little experiments that reduce your risk and allow you to learn quickly on what's working, what's not working. And you're using that not as a, as a 
pass fail, but really much more as a, what do I want to learn? How do I, how am I going to measure what I'm learning? And I know what success looks like before I go and double down on something. And I think you're already talking about that in terms of your test customers, but I think there's other ways to test on like how you get the word out. How do you figure out what are the, what's the right range to deliver to? Cause that'll kill you. Like if you're going 30 miles, right? How do you, how are you taking your information and automating it in a way where it makes your, your grocery lists easier? It makes it easier to repeat recipes and you could even have the amounts on a per serving basis. You plug in the servings and it pops out the list. Those are, those are things that are all possible with some relatively inexpensive, even free tools. And so I think, but the first part is like this idea of you have an idea, you have a vision. We need to kind of write that down and there's tools we can use for that. And then I think there's like, okay, so where do we start? What's the biggest, worst part of your day or week? And how do we figure out ways to automate that and give, give you that time back? Uh, and then, uh, where, where do you want to experiment? Where do you want to, what makes you excited about trying something new or expanding without going for broke on it? Because that's, that's sort of a pass fail and it's either lose, you know, win or die. Right. So you don't want those types of situations. So that's, that's, I think what we can talk about and the data should be informing that and you're already creating the data. It's just not working for you. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. So talk to us a little bit about the tools you're using to record information. Now you talked about spreadsheets. Are you just tracking costs? Um, I'm not, I am tracking costs in a very simple way. You know, what did I spend versus what did I make? Um, you know, taking out some items that will carry over whatever, you know, just doing a simple inventory at the end and basically all the orders they come in, I'll, I'll, it's basically pen and paper. I mean, I'll, I'll hand write the order on these, you know, these sheets that I've printed up basically says the item, how many, um, where it goes, who it goes to some notes, if they, you know, they want something changed or, you know, they're some allergy or something, but yeah, a lot of it's pretty primitive right now so far, but yeah, it's pen and paper. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just hasn't, I've been doing this for so long that the amount of orders that I get right now, it is kind of trackable that way. And maybe that's just, that's not right. <laughs> but for right now, I mean, it, it's, it's just how I'm doing it. Just because like you said, like I have so much other stuff on my plate already to do that. I really, I don't have a lot of time with a four-year-old daughter and a wife that's home constantly to sit down at a computer undistracted and bang out like spreadsheets and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, the good news with this, and we've coached a lot of individuals and businesses and entrepreneurs is it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. So it's like you, we can identify kind of a long-term goal and long-term plan, the kind of tools, like a package that might be optimal for a business like yours. And then you pick one thing and say, okay, let's figure out how to use this tool to fix this process and make it a little easier for you so that, you know, going forward, that takes less time each week because trying to boil the ocean is overwhelming. Right. But, you know, if you take it one thing at a time, then a year later, you're like, wow, I've kind of migrated onto all these tools and my life's a lot easier. And it, but it wasn't a huge shift overnight. Baby steps. 
Yeah. What about Bob? Great movie. <laughs> um, the other thing that would make my life a lot easier, and this is very simple, would basically to hire one more person in the kitchen. <laughs> like I could, I could free up hours of time. I mean, it would literally take half the time because a lot of the stuff that I do is, you know, the packaging takes so long. I don't need you know, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? Like somebody else can do that very easily. It's just that I haven't done that right now because of the climate in this country with COVID-19. I don't know who, you know, I don't really want to bring anybody in super close, you know, cuz you have to work close with somebody, you know, that kind of thing. Um my wife would help out, but obviously we have a daughter that's here all the time, so you know, her time is very valuable. So it's that to me is like the first step is like, all right, I need to find a guy or a girl that can just do the simple stuff, take the simple stuff off my plate, you know, like in the kitchen, because most of my time is spent in the kitchen, prepping the food and packing it and getting it out. Um, so with that extra time, I could, you know, it could be spent on figuring out ways to grow it figuring out ways to reduce friction as we were talking about social media posts, which, you know, fun, inventive social media posts. And I really like, Anna, the, you know, the idea of the family guy, like showing them in my social media posts, like, Hey, I'm just like you, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it out here in this crazy world. Let me help you. You're helping me, you know, that kind of deal. So I think that's a great idea um, to start adding into my repertoire of, of marketing. Well, and I, I think like there's some really simple tools that, you know, we're kind of familiar with from our world, like things like Shopify and uh, Airtable that you can connect those. And Airtable is like a super smart spreadsheet that almost works like a database and can automate things. And Shopify can help you sell in social media. You've got an online store. It can automate and standardize your your orders uh, generate the right lists. So your counts are correct. Uh, you, people have deadlines, you can nudge them with email campaigns, all that stuff is built in, right? And it's not expensive at all, which takes that sort of pressure off. But even even opportunities like rather than hiring a guy in the kitchen, because you can trust your wife and you, you know where she lives if she oversleeps, right? Uh, can you could you get a babysitter? You know, you're looking at that whole life picture, not just your business picture. Could could you have a niece look after uh, your daughter while while you and your you know because it's one day a week. It's it, it may be cheaper than what you'd have to pay somebody to work the kitchen and their family. You can trust them. And on top of that, I also want to mention the social media piece. Like you can schedule social media posts weeks in advance. So you can actually just sit there, spend two hours on a Sunday, plug in all the stuff that you need, uh, put the pictures up or menus or whatever, and just schedule that out. And boom, you don't even have to think about it. And it's just done. You know what I mean? Oh, I I had no idea you could do that. Yeah. You can do that with like Instagram or anything? Yeah. Instagram, uh, you can schedule it out. Uh, There's a couple of um, platforms that you can do that with on Facebook as well. So that would save you so much time just having to sit there like every 15 minutes a week or whatever you do, 15 minutes a day, it gets gone right there and you can just focus on what you're good at. A lot of the times like I'll want to take pictures of what I'm making at the time, 
you know yeah. what I mean, and Instagram it or do something like that. But I'm just so stressed, you know what I mean, that I'm like, uh, no, I'm fucked up. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I just yeah. got to get this no, done. You, know? you can like take the picture and then, uh, uh, you know, on Sunday or whatever, post it out and schedule it out so that it does look like on Tuesday you were doing this. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also really, as you're saying this, it kind of brought to mind a really interesting opportunity for your brand as, you know, the family guy who's running this business and kind of looking behind the scenes. A lot of people are starting to do live video streaming. Very, you know, it's it's amateur, but people love it. So it's like they just set up their phone in the kitchen while they're cooking out. You know, there's a couple of chefs I follow that do this where they're like, hey guys, how you doing? And it's really casual, like having a conversation with your friends. You set it up like, I'm making the meal for the week. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to put this together with this. And like, it's delicious. I recommend you go get it, sign up here. But they're just doing a live stream. And like all these people come in and watch you live and they can even chat with you. But it's it's it takes a little bit of the pressure off of like trying to create the perfect post. Because once you have an audience and people like you, man, it's it's crazy how viral that stuff can go. Yeah, and I do have that TV background, so it's not like, you know. Yeah, yeah, you've done it before. Shy in front of the camera, so. Well, yeah, you've never been shy. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, so so the, so the, I think that's a huge opportunity for you. And I, I also think that there's even things where you're paying too much to, pay, you know, to process payments, right? It's, or you're spending too much time having to get your money from people, whether they're paying by check, all that stuff can be automated uh, in ways where that's all overhead that you're way, like time is money, right? If you're not figuring in like what you're able to pay yourself and uh, those sorts of things, like that, that's all invisible friction, invisible costs that you're never going to get back. So how do you, how do you, how do you make that, how do you work smarter? So your data is working for you. It's that silent partner in your business life so that you can live more of your real life. Yeah, they have, um, I have a buddy in Richmond that does the same thing. He does meal deliveries. He's been doing it for about four years now. Um, and he uses a, a company started by a couple guys that did meal delivery and they, and they came up with all this backend tech. And then they were like, wait a minute, why the hell are we doing meal delivery? We should just sell our back-end tech. <laughs> you know? so, so it's called Bottles, and it basically does exactly what you're talking about. And they'll take a – you know, they'll use a credit card processor. They'll take a little piece of each sale. Um, and it's something I definitely am probably going to look into once my website is up and running. So that way there's just a, like a link on the website – order here and it'll go somewhere, you know what I mean? And then it'll shoot out exactly what I need for the week, how much of each thing, who's ordering what, that kind of thing. So I'm definitely looking into um, those types of things to reduce that friction once the website is up and running, which should be in you know less than a week or so, which is crucial. I don't even have a website yet. <laughs> so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like we've got a great overview. I think we see a ton of different opportunities. Um, and we're also going to like, we're here to help, right? We want to see you be successful. This is not a once and done. We're going to check in a couple of times this season to see how things are going, like what, where you're growing, where what's working, what's not working, especially if it was hilarious uh, or not. 
but like lessons learned, because that's that's really the opportunity is to share what you're learning, because all of this stuff is repeatable. All of this stuff has been working for years and years at companies like Amazon, where you know, or, or eBay or any number of others. How do you break down the big gnarly problem into digestible little bits? How do you get your 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 computers and your data working for you uh, so that you can focus on what you love best? And then even things like some of the logistics challenges of getting your orders fulfilled, getting the counts right, getting the containers back, because that's a huge cost. All of those little paper cut problems that add up and will slow your growth. And we can definitely help you with how to engage and, and convince your best customers to be your best salespeople and help you build up that book of business that is going to retain. And how do you grow that relationship with people so that you have high lifetime value customers because there's a lot of deadbeat customers that will come onto your platform and you spend a lot of time and effort trying to reach them. You don't want to focus on those. So I think those, those are a lot of different ways that we can work together. We're going to work together offline. We're going to check in over the season uh, and we're excited to get started. Do you guys have any last thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I love working with small business owners like yourself because it's like I have a special place in my heart for folks like you and I'm a small business owner. So, I mean, we want to help you succeed. And I think the biggest benefit that we can bring is we've been in the big world, like the big 10,000 employee kind of companies, the Yahoo's and the Ebay's and the Microsoft's and the Amazon's. We've seen what works and what doesn't work. And we've seen how to scale businesses. But what this is different is how do you scale the business and keep the heart of it? And so that's what we want to help you with is say, let's figure out how to scale the right way, step by step, because, you know, it's a small business. It's not 10,000 employees and keep that vision of what you want this business to be for you and your family as you go along. Yeah. And I mean, we have to think about like small business is really the backbone of a lot of economies. And so we have the tech giants. We have big companies that come in. Um, but the little guy or the smaller piece tends to get forgotten. And, you know, you have the media or the glory of the big companies, but we want the heart of the story, which is the heart of the economy, which is the small guy. And the struggles that people go through are struggles everybody goes through. You know, it's hard to kind of, when you read media posts about, you know, we work going out of business or, you know, losing millions of dollars, it's a, not a very relatable story. But you know, un, not being able to feed your family and going homeless is a much more real story. And nobody wants to see that happen to anybody, really. So I'm excited to help you with, especially with the social media and growing your audience piece. There's a lot of room for, for growth there. And there's lots of people out there that have no aspiration to be an eBay or an Amazon or to build an empire or to be a billionaire, right? Like we... We, we want, yeah, we want to, we want to help people live their best work and life, right? The idea that, uh, this actually meets your needs to a degree where you're really happy at what you're doing and you're okay. If it doesn't go huge, it's enough to have a really comfortable life and have the balance to live a life with your family in daylight, right? You're not working restaurant hours. Uh, you're not constantly sweating, uh, you know, stuff going sideways. So those, that's, I think the way that we want to help we want, we want to 
help you with the right solutions that fit your needs and we'll go from there. Yeah. I'm psyched. So, I really appreciate it guys. It's been a lot, very insightful for me. Um, and gives me a lot of stuff to think about. Um, especially this week coming up. I mean, I just put a menu out yesterday and now my week kind of starts. So this will give me some great food for thought. Oh, final last words from uh, trip Larry and I, do you guys have, uh, I guess a key takeaway? I think the first big one is let's, let's get real, clear on what's your what's your what's your dream outcome and how to and because once you get clear on that and it's realistic you can break it down into tiny spots and then i think how do we get the little things out of your way so that you can focus on more of the big things making your day to work with you and i'm super excited to get started with you on connecting those dots and making your life easier so we'll we'll start on that this week larry yeah, I would say probably the, the biggest piece for me is to think a lot about that ideal customer, because I think with any business, it's true with a small business and with a business that delivers food, which is so important to people in their personal lives, making sure, you know, who is that dream customer that is going to be loyal to you, but also give you that word of mouth and referrals and grow your business. Because I think for any restaurant business or a food-based business, it's all about those customers who love you and talking about you. So I think that'd be a big takeaway for me is think about those people and how to keep them close to you and reward them. Yeah. So my piece uh, to kind of follow up on what Larry was saying was basically to uh, think about how you can do one little step today to move towards whatever goal you might have. So if it's you wanting to generate a loyal customer, for example, could you write a handwritten note? If it's you wanting to expand your business in different venues, could you partner with people, your vendors, your suppliers in any way to to kind of make that connection and grow the business that way? Um, It doesn't have to be like a big taking on the ocean, boiling the ocean. You can just, you know, dip your toe in and see what how it feels and go from there. So Tom, I'm going to I'll I'll kick off with you later this week. Uh, we've already got some tools set up and some ideas on how to deal with some of those tinier pieces. Uh, so look for some, you know, we'll, we'll touch base offline and thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's we're really excited about this opportunity to work with you. Yeah, this has been great, man. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Stay safe out there everybody. Thank you. And keep putting one foot in front of the other, Tom. All right. We'll see you. So I'm excited for next steps with Tom. We're going to be working with him offline to uh, get set up on things like Shopify and some of the other tools that we discussed with him, Uh, maybe some strategies around how he's leveraging social media and to be able to work through some of those small problems uh, where it's just going to be more efficient with his time. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. It's such a young business and I still feel like there's a lot of room for him to grow and a lot of untapped potential. Exactly. He has a great brand to build on. Plus, he has extensive experience in the restaurant industry. So um, I'm excited for that too, to um, learn a little bit more about what he does and kind of the the, the little details, the ins and outs of, of the restaurant business. Uh, so Larry, what do we have for uh, next week? We're calling the next episode the Cola Challenge, um, when companies are going to put their money where their mouth is with respect to remote work. So you may have noticed that some tech companies have said, hey, employees, you can work remote forever, whatever that means. So some people in the Bay Area are thinking the obvious. I think a lot of us would think, what if I could keep my job, 
I get to keep my salary, and then I move somewhere with a lower cost of living, save a ton of money. Unfortunately, what they heard was that they may have to accept a pay cut to do that. So one of the big questions is, is that fair? Well, that's what we're going to discuss, as well as some ideas for making all of that work. Yes, Larry, the dreaded cost of living adjustment. Uh, everybody knows that, that has worked at one of those companies, knows the pain of moving to someplace like the Bay Area or Seattle, thinking that you're going to make this amazing money and then having to face what you pay in rent. I think it's going to be a really interesting debate to see what people are willing to leave on the table or leave behind um, to kind of gain the freedom to work where they want, how they want, and in the community that they want to, to live in. Um, and we're going to talk about the pros and cons, and I think that's going to be a super interesting. You guys can keep updated on future episodes at thebraveworkforce.com. Um, we're also on iTunes and Spotify. And if you'd like a little bit more help figuring out this transition uh, in this economy for your business or your company, uh, get in contact with us at the Brave New Workforce. Well, that's it. Episode two of the Brave New Workforce. Thanks for listening. This is Larry, Tripp, and Anna saying, have a great week. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Better days are coming.